Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, I tell you what, we are so blessed to have Reverend Tony Cook with us today. Praise the Lord. I've been looking forward to this for quite a while. And uh, I think I explained to you before, Brother Tony Cook is a, is a man that is, uh, I don't know of anybody more highly regarded and respected, honestly, in, our, in the Word of Faith camp than Reverend Tony Cook. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's got quite a, 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 a history and, and uh, background in, in church work. When he came to Tulsa over 40 years ago, he actually uh, started attending Rama. I think, when I did in, in 79. And uh, it wasn't just a short while after that, they asked him to, I don't know which one came first, to teach in the, in the Rama Bible School or come on staff. He, started, he became an instructor at Rama Bible Training Center within just a, uh, I don't know, a couple of years after being a student at Rama. That doesn't happen, I'm going to tell you. And, uh, and then shortly after that, they asked him to go on staff as an associate pastor at Rainbow Bible Church, which position he held for a number of years. Uh, in 1985, when RMAI was first, the Raymond Ministerial Association International was first organized, they asked Tony, uh, Reverend, Reverend Cook, to become the first national director. The, uh, the organization, organization was set up with uh, 16 regions around the country. And a regional director was appointed over each one of those. And uh, Reverend Cook was appointed as the first national director. When I became a regional director in 1994, uh, Brother Cook was still the, the, the national director. We became, we, I knew him before then, but we became good friends then. And, and I've just known him for now for over 35 years. And uh, uh, just a, a tremendous man of God, a man of wisdom and a man of, uh, of Bible knowledge uh, you know, I look at, at Brother Tony, I don't mean to embarrass him or anything, but in the early days of the Pentecostal movement, uh, the, the Pentecostal move of God could have been easily derailed and sidetracked because of some extreme elements. And God raised up certain voices, certain men uh, who had a lot of Bible knowledge and theology and but who were also filled with the Holy Spirit and full of the fire of God, and their writings, men like Donald G. and and Howard Horton and 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 others, and later in the in the healing revival, even people like uh, Gordon Lindsay, their writings brought a lot of balance and kept the ship, you know, uh, uh, upright. Uh, in other words, to keep things from going into extremism. And really, I regard Tony Cook that way. Uh, he's a man of tremendous balance and tremendous uh, knowledge of the scriptures. He's a very prolific writer, as you will testify when you go back to the product table today. You'll see his books back there. I encourage you to go back and buy a copy of all of them for yourself and buy them as gifts and uh, and give them to people. Look at the different titles and think of people that you know and love that could benefit from uh, the insights in those books. But uh, I'll say enough about that for now. But Brother uh, Tony Cook, come on around Glory to God, our friend and, and just wonderful man. And we appreciate you. Take your liberty this morning. I'm so excited about what he's going to minister because, you know, our church has always been 
a church that believed and emphasized the miraculous and the supernatural. But you know, there are so many voices out there that say that that these things died off when the apostles, when the first apostles died and so forth. And, and I've always been very interested in this subject. And, and when I found out that uh, Reverend Cook had just finished his master's degree in church history uh, and that he, he did a teaching on the miraculous and the supernatural throughout church history, I thought, I want to hear that message. And he has a book that is being published. It's coming out uh, very quickly. You can order that book back there today that, that will be about uh, what he's talking about this morning. Brother Cook, again, bless you. Welcome to Impact. Thank you Praise so the Lord. Much. Amen. Thank you. It is so good to be uh, in uh, High Springs, Florida at Impact Family Church. Uh, you know, since he, how, how many of you know, he just handed me a whole bunch of roses, you know, figuratively. So I want to, I want to pass a rose or two back. Um, this couple that is your pastor, uh, your pastors, Pastor Edwin and Angela, they are, their reputation among ministers across the country is absolutely solid gold. And, uh, and they are respected and, uh, and rightfully so. Uh, I know from my time working with them, uh, as as directors and working in the same organization, they just always give. There, there's one word I think of. They just carry themselves with dignity, and uh, and and you all should be very blessed and thankful to have them as as your pastors. And and so thank you for the privilege of being here today. I learned something from your son today that I'd never heard before. That God will bless the seed we've sown, not the seed we've blown. That is that is. That is great. I also learned that you thought it was chilly here today. And uh, I guess if you're from Florida, you would... I was just in Alaska a few weeks ago. It was 36 below zero. And, um, and I mean, I'm from Oklahoma, so, you know, we're used to decently warm weather. And, and I said, what's this do to your church attendance? He said, oh, 36 below. He said, now, if it gets 40 below, he said, we'll notice a little dip. And uh, so, man, anyway, it is so good to be with you. Uh, we're going to be talking today, both this morning and this evening, about miracles and the supernatural throughout church history. And um, I want to share one story before we get into this. Um, this is a friend of mine shared this. We were talking about this topic, and a pastor friend shared with me that a few years ago, um, a, a lady started coming to his church with her daughter. And her daughter was five years old at the time. And this pastor later found out that this lady uh, was Muslim. And uh, they had moved to this city in America. And she wanted, to, she wanted to find out what's church about. And so she asked her husband, who's Muslim, uh, you know, could I take my daughter, our daughter, to this church? And he said, well, he said, you can take her and you can go. But don't ever use that J name in this house. And so she said, okay. And so she took her daughter and they started coming to church. Well, they got saved. The mother and the daughter got saved. And they started, you know, attending regularly and things like that. But the rule was, you don't use that J name in this house. And uh, two years later, when the little girl was seven, uh, the dad got really, really sick. And it looked like he could maybe not make it. And the little girl said, Mommy, I, I want to go pray for Daddy. And the mom said, Well, you know, honey, you can go pray for Daddy, but just, just remember what the rule is. You, you're not supposed to use the J name in his house. 
little girl, she just marched right into her dad, put her hand right on his chest and said, dear God, I ask you to heal my dad in that name that we're not allowed to use in this house. (laughs) Amen. And turned and walked out. And you know what happened? God healed that dad in the name that they weren't allowed to use in that house. Well, guess, guess who shows up at church? Guess who got saved? And guess who all attends church as a whole family? And now they can use that J name in the house. How many of you know the J name? What, what is that again? That's the name of the name of Jesus. And, uh, so isn't it wonderful how God can just honor the simple, you know, and maybe that's why we run into more problems. We don't, we're not simple enough. We try to make things real complicated and, and all that and just that little simple childlike thing. Well, one thing I want to do before I jump into the message is I want to say a very appropriate and a very uh, heartfelt thank you to Impact Family Church. And, and what I want to thank you for is for giving generously to your church. How many of you know that, uh, you know, we learned this from Brother Hagen, the, the local church is the mainstay. It is the, you know, thank God for all the different things going on, but the local church is the mainstay of all ministry. And, uh, and, and from it, a lot of great things can happen. And, and you, you all, because you've supported your church so well for so many years, your church has helped us. And so we want to say thank you for supporting your church. And, and we want to give you just a little tiny window. I won't take long with this. Uh, I want to give you a little tiny window into what you've helped us do. Uh, we were on staff at Rama for 18 and a half years. Uh, this May, we will be in full-time traveling for 18 years. And so we've been traveling just almost as long as we were on staff at Rama. But if we could go with that first slide... I just want to show you, these are the countries uh, that you have helped my wife and I minister in over these uh, recent years. My wife and I, we're celebrating our 41st uh, wedding anniversary this year, and uh, I've drugged my wife all over the place. Uh, Last year, we were out of the country 93 days, and uh, these are the countries we've been in. But I want to show you some of the pictures, if we could go to the next uh, Pastor Edwin spoke very kindly. We've written a lot of books. The stack in the center are the books in English. The stacks on the left and the right side are in all those different languages that you see mentioned. And we're adding new books in foreign languages, you know, a couple, two, three, four a year. And uh, we're just so thankful. I want to show you some of the pictures of those books being used. Uh, this is a conference in Brazil last year. Uh, last August, Brazil is absolutely experiencing uh, incredible revival. There are 125 Rama campuses around Brazil and 11,000 students. And that's just the Ramas. Other groups are having massive growth as well. And uh, the next picture are a bunch of Brazilian pastors holding up one of our books, and uh, they've been more prolific in translating our books than anybody else. Seven of our eight books are in, in Portuguese, and they're getting the eighth one now, and they're already going to be starting on our brand new book that's not even out yet. But those are all the Brazilians holding up some of the books. Next picture 
is uh, in Zambia. Uh, my wife and I have been to Zambia four times. Next picture. Well, you've been there. That's miracle life. Uh, one of the uh, Zambian pastors with one of our books. Next picture. We're going to do these real quick. Uh, that was in Russia last um, October at Rick Renner's. I've been there seven times. Uh, the next picture are four of our books in the Russian language. Uh, next picture is, um, that's in Cairo, Egypt, about a year and a half ago or so. Those are four of our books in the Arabic language. The next picture, uh, we met with 60 pastors on a boat in Cairo on the Nile River and met with these 60 pastors. They all got free books and spent time teaching them that night. That was a real blessing. Next picture is, uh, that's a Kurdish pastor holding one of our books in the uh, Arabic language. Next picture is uh, praying for people. That was, I think, this last spring in Beirut, Lebanon. A bunch of young men came down for the altar call there. Next picture. Um, those are all Bible school students in Paris, France, Rama students. Uh, as you can see, that's a very multicultural, multi-ethnic uh, you know, group, which is typical of Paris and London and cities like that. Next picture is, um, that's in uh, Turkey. That is right outside of the ruins of ancient Ephesus. We did a Holy Spirit conference there. Uh, Turkey's 99.9% Muslim, and we just had the best time uh, doing a Holy Spirit conference right outside the ruins of where Paul first said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? That was my opening line there. I just couldn't resist. I just had to do Turkish believers in Ephesus, had to open with that line. But you can see some of them are holding a book. Let me show you the next picture. Uh, this is not one of our books. This is one of Brother Hagen's books, uh, The Triumphant Church in the Turkish language. And you can see the absolute joy that this brother has as he's uh, received that book. Next picture is, um, well, these are our books in English. And uh, Pastor Edwin was so gracious to kind of speak well of them, and uh, we've really endeavored to pour a lot of life and encouragement. Uh, Pastor Edwin, you see that book on the lower left-hand corner. Pastor Edwin shared with me that you all have given a lot of those out. That is the first book I ever wrote, and it's called Life After Death, Rediscovering Life After the Loss of a Loved One. And we wrote it to help people because how many of you know people have emotions and different things and when somebody they love dies and that type of thing, they can use encouragement and learn to draw from the Holy Spirit. And um, we get lots of churches just keep those and give them out. We have a lady in Tulsa that has purchased and given away more than 660 of those books just as a, you know, ministry type thing and uh, helping people at just what she feels her calling is, is to help people who've had a loved one die. But early on, I said that was the first book I ever wrote, and uh, I'll just share this with you. A lady uh, who was an, a little bit older lady, and she read a lot, uh, she called me and said, Tony, next to the Bible, that is the most inspired book that has ever been written. Pastor Edwin, I didn't know what to say. All I could think was, Mom, thank you. <laughs> Mom, that's such a nice thing for you to say. <laughs> so anyway, she didn't really say that. I just, I just totally made that up. But, um, but she did like it, and she 
bragged all her friends about what I'd done. But anyway, um, but we have other books there. I'm not going to take a long, long time to talk about. I'm not going to talk about it, but just if, if they'll benefit you, great. Um, I, I do want to show you the picture. The next one is of the, um, the book that we have that's at the publisher right now, and it's what I'm going to be teaching you today. It's called Miracles in the Supernatural Throughout Church History. And what we do is we take 2,000 years of, of the history of the church and we find this supernatural thread that goes all the way through in every century. Really, in every generation, there was somebody that believed that Christianity was more than intellectual. Now, I thank God for the intellectual part. I don't even know there's knowledge in, in the Bible. But the Bible's also a living book. Jesus said, my words are spirit, and they are life. And, and the Bible says that God's word is medicine to all our flesh. And so what we do in this book is we, we go through 2,000 years, and we're going to give you little samplings of it here today. Um, but uh, we can pop onto the next slide, and I just want to tell you for a real quick second why this subject, why this topic is really very, very uh, important to me. I was raised, I was not raised in a Pentecostal church. I was raised in a mainline denomination. And I'm not here to make anybody not being negative or critical or anything. But we were often called the frozen chosen, if that's any indication. So um, I grew up total ritual, uh, you know, going through the motions. Nobody told me that you had to be born again. I didn't know about the new birth. I, you know, um, uh, certainly didn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Nobody expected healing. I mean, I, you know, I was taught to believe the Bible, that the Bible was true, but I thought all the miracles happened, you know, 2,000 years ago or so. I believed that Moses split the Red Sea. I believed that Jesus walked on water. I, I believed that Jesus healed the sick and raised the dead. But that was 2,000 years ago. Nobody ever told me that God doesn't do miracles anymore. I just assumed he didn't. I just assumed that whatever supernatural happened, that was back then. And, and uh, so anyway, when I was 18 years old, a friend took me to a meeting. You remember Charles and Francis Hunter, the Happy Hunters. How many of you remember them? Uh, the Happy Hunters were having a meeting. I, my wife and I both grew up in north central Indiana, Kokomo, Indiana. And a friend kept bugging me, man. He pestered me. He just wouldn't let me say no. I tried saying, no, no, no. And he just kept bugging me. I said, oh, okay, I'll go. I just kind of went to get him off my back. And um, so I go this night, and this is, this is a different meeting. This is not like my church at all. People, people were happy to be at this place. We're never happy until they said, you're dismissed. Then we were happy. People were happy, and, and they weren't they weren't just what I'd call hyper emotional, but they were they were they were showing joy and peace, and and you could tell, man, when they sang, they weren't just going through. It was heartfelt, and people lifting their hands. I'd never seen that before, and um, so long story short, uh, that night I played tennis throughout high school, and even went on to play in college and played tournaments and things like that. But um, I had a back problem from tennis, and it, it didn't keep me from playing, but it had been a nagging pain, you know, for like two years. And my parents had sent me to three different types of doctors trying to get this thing rectified. And they pretty much said, well, we've done what we can do. You're just going to have to live with it. 
And uh, the, Charles Hunter said, everybody with back problems stand up. About a third of the church stood up that night. I didn't know that many people had that kind of problem, but about a third of the people stood I stood up because I had a back problem. And of all the people in that auditorium, he pointed at me and said, young man, come down here. And I went down. He prayed for me lightly, so gently just touched my forehead and was praying in this other language. And all of a sudden, this... this It was just a power began to come through my body, and and I ended up on the ground. I had never seen that in my church ever, and uh, but the the power of God just overcame me. And when I stood up, He said, "Young man, bend over and touch the ground." And I bent over and put both palms on the floor. Prior to that, if I bent over, I could bend down. I could get to my knees real easy. But if I got much past my knee, uh, kneecap, I would have a sharp pain shooting down the back side of my right leg. It had been that way for two years. I bent over and put both palms on the floor. No pain. And I knew God had healed me. And, and, and this was the, I mean, this was kind of like the most impacting, revolutionary moment of my life. Because all of a sudden I thought, wait a minute. That's what God did in the Bible. Maybe, maybe all that stuff in the Bible, maybe it's for today too, and nobody told me. Nobody told me it wasn't, and some people grew up in churches where they're told this is not for today. And uh, my friend took me, uh, we went back to his house that night, and he asked me, you know, did you receive the Holy Spirit tonight? And See, I grew up, every Sunday we recited the Apostles' Creed and sang the doxology you know, praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So I knew about the Holy Spirit, but I didn't know that, what do you mean, receive him, receive him. That sounds like something kind of personal. And he took me through the book of Acts and showed me some scriptures, especially emphasizing how that when they received, they spoke in other tongues. And uh, I said, well, if if that's the same person that the power who came into me, I said, I want all of him there is to have and so I was 18 years old then, and uh, that launched me on a radically different path for my life uh, than what I had, had had planned out and ended up a couple years later, that was 77, ended up a couple years later with Pastor Edwin uh, at the same Bible school, and, you know, we've just been walking this journey and uh, seeing God bless and do all kinds of things over the years. But I want to show you a statement that D.L. Moody made. D.L. Moody was a great evangelist, kind of the Billy Graham before Billy Graham. He said, there's not a denomination in the world that didn't spring from revival. And we'll use different terms, revival, renewal, outpouring, uh, awakening, a move of God, a movement. We can use different terms. But I'm going to tell you what, uh, that is so true historically, that when you go back and study church history, um, God has always, whenever, whenever anybody's been willing to just open the door to him a little bit, you know, it's like Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll open the door, I'll come in. You know, if we don't shut him out with our traditions, with our rituals, with our man-made things, if we'll just put that aside and say, Holy Spirit, Jesus, we want you to come in. We want you to have your way. He's so eager to come in. 
And see, what's happened is that all through history, there's this cyclical thing all through history. You know where uh, Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. See, when I got healed in 1977, June the 9th, in case you want to know the exact date, um, when I got healed, I thought, wow, this is new. It wasn't new at all. It was new to me. But it wasn't, if I'd known something, I'd known God has been doing this kind of thing all along. Just it was new to me. So uh, what happens is you have this pattern through history where God will find somebody who's willing to say yes and open their heart and their life and surrender their own agenda and their own methods and all that. And, and, and the Holy Spirit comes in and does, begins doing some really powerful things. But what happens is... There's really not too much that God does that we're not able to mess up if you just give us enough time. And we usually end up messing it up. You know, we get all, you know, we, we get all ritualistic about it or, you know, people move away from respecting the authority of the Bible or the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the next thing you know, what started as something being done by God is now being <sighs> kind of run into the ditch by man. And so then God has to find somebody new to start something with. So at any rate, um, in the Bible, our next slide, just I know you're so well taught here. I don't feel like I need to go through a lot of this. But, you know, in the Bible, we see all these supernatural expressions of the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and you can see all these that things that when, when the Holy Spirit is working in our heart, you know, some of these, like apostle, prophet, evangelist, those are ministry offices that, you know, people are specifically called to. But then some of these are just things that any believer could operate in. You know, like look up at that Romans 12, mercy or, or, or uh, giving or uh, serving, you know, all these type of things. So there's a wide range of these things that are different in the way they operate. But, but believers, and when believers assemble, these are the kind of things that get stirred up when the Holy Spirit is allowed uh, to have expression. And then there's some other things. The next slide. Uh, I want to also look at other supernatural workings of the Holy Spirit because there are things that maybe aren't necessarily part of that list. But conviction, the new birth, assurance, illumination, uh, the infilling, all the way down through, you know, divine comfort, peace, uh, the cult of... How many of you know that when, when the fruit of the Spirit gets operating in our life, that's a working of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so there's so many different things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life that you take the Holy Spirit out of Christianity and, and you just don't have a whole lot left. But, but you know, one thing I want to uh, mention is that sometimes, see, people either, they, they tend to say, well, none of this is for today, or they tend to get obsessed with just a few special, you know, like they want to only focus on the hyper-spectacular workings of the Holy Spirit. What I want to encourage every church is, let's, let's appreciate everything that the Holy Spirit does. Brother Hagen, this is our next slide, Kenneth Hagen said, he was talking about divine guidance, and uh, he said the inward witness is just as supernatural as guidance through visions and so on. It's just not as spectacular. He said many people are looking for the spectacular and missing the supernatural that is right there all the time. 
How many of you know when that little girl put her hand on her daddy's chest and said, God, I ask you to heal my daddy in the name that we're not allowed to mention. See, she wasn't some flamboyant, high-powered evangelist with, you know, international television. Nothing wrong with that necessarily. But it doesn't have to be flashy. Doesn't have to be spectacular. It doesn't even have to be dramatic. Sometimes the Holy Spirit works through the simplest avenues, uh, subtle things, and we need to appreciate everything that the Holy Spirit does. We don't want to just get obsessed with the spectacular and miss the supernatural. How many of you know that teaching is supernatural? You know. And so everything that God does, we want to respect everything that he does. I love what Reinhard Bonnke said. Next slide. He said, Christianity is either supernatural or nothing at all. He said, we had and still have a supernatural Jesus with a supernatural ministry creating a supernatural church with a supernatural gospel and a supernatural Bible. How many of you know every time you hold your Bible, you're, you're holding something that is supernatural? The Bible, the Word of God. And he said, um, you've, if you take the miraculous away, you have taken Christianity's life away. The church simply becomes then an ethical society or a social club when it is intended to be the grid system for transmitting the power of God into this powerless world, you and I are conductors of God's power to the world. We really need to believe that. Um, you know, when, when you have never been exposed to this, like, you know, for example, I never was. Uh, I was exposed to the ethical side of Christianity and, and the moral side and some of the informational side, and, and we're not throwing that out. How many of you know we need good ethics? We need good morals. The, see, that's, all, that's part of the whole package. I don't want to throw away one part of the package and chase another part. I want the whole package. But here's what's happened far too often, is that Christianity in many people's minds has become what I call anti-supernatural. If you were ever taught, well, God used to do that, but he doesn't do that anymore. Let's look at this next slide. Here's what you can end up with. This is the exact same slide that I showed you a little bit ago, but when it's filtered through an anti-supernatural mindset. So we're going to allow certain things, but then we're going to say, well, Holy Spirit, you don't do these things anymore. Well, here's my question. Who, Who gave us the right to edit the Bible? And I I think it's okay to read our Bible with a highlighter, but don't ever read it with a magic marker. Don't you go striking through things. If you want to highlight something that especially speaks to your heart, that's great. Uh, But but don't don't go marking things out. And when you do that, you're saying... uh, you know, Jesus, we really don't necessarily believe that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is. Um, so here's, here's our commission. Look at Mark 16, our next slide. This is what Jesus told the church to do. And I don't think he's ever withdrawn this or revoked this. He, he, he said to them, go into all the world and preach what? The gospel. Did you know that the gospel means good news? Did you know that's connected to the truth that God is good? 
as Pastor Edwin was saying, preach the gospel uh, to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And notice verse 17, and these signs, what? Will follow. Notice the signs will follow those who believe. Now here's something that's very important. The first thing, the imperative is preach the gospel. The signs will follow. Don't chase signs. Preach the gospel. The signs will follow those who believe. That's something very, very important. And, um, and, and he goes on, I, I didn't list them all here, because, uh, but you can read it in your Bible. He talks about, you know, uh, laying hands on the sick, casting out devils, speaking in new tongues, and so on. And it says, and so they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord, notice this, working with them. See, the fun thing, Pastor Edwin, that we, he, Pastor Edwin and I get to do this and others do too, is that when we do stuff in Jesus' name, we're not really doing it for him, we're doing it with him. He's working with, the Lord working with them. I wouldn't want to do this without the Lord working with us. The Lord working with them, he, see what we do, we preach the Lord works with us and confirms the word through accompanying signs. Just something to notice here, the signs don't follow the apostles. The signs follow the word, the preaching of the gospel. Okay? So what I want to do, this is just kind of a little introduction. What I want to do the rest of this morning and on tonight, I want to introduce you to some family members that you probably didn't know you had. Anybody here gotten bit by the bug of uh, ancestry, whatever? Anybody here gone on? My daughter, do you, you like that? Kind of going back and finding out who, who all's back there responsible for you today and things like that. My daughter's gotten into that. She, um, um, we, we were taking a little trip here a while back as a family, and she made us stop at St. Louis because they have some national archives there. And she went in there for like three hours. My wife and I sat in the car. And uh, she was in there digging through my family's background, military history, different things like that. She just really gotten into that. It's kind of fun. You know, she likes that. Um, but you know what I think is more important than what my great, 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 great biological grandfather did? I think we ought to find out what our spiritual ancestors have done. Because we're part, we're not just natural people, but we're part of a spiritual family. And so I want to go back and find what, what did the people in other centuries, how did they serve God? How did they understand? And, um, and, but we're going to do that with a specific target in mind. We're going to ask, be asking the question, did the supernatural stop? Like, for example, when the last apostle died. That's kind of one of the, catchphrases that certain people use. Well, well, you know, all miracles happened until the last apostle died. And then some people say, well, maybe they lasted a little longer, but they eventually... We're going to show you 2,000 years of historical evidence that the supernatural never stopped. Now, there have been times where people turned their back on the supernatural. There are times where people... You know, do you know there's times when people quit reading the Bible? 
That doesn't mean Bible reading's not for today. Did you know there's times when people quit giving to missions? But that doesn't mean missions is not for today. There's times when people quit evangelizing. There's times when people quit living holy. But that doesn't mean holiness is not for today. Uh, Sure, you can find times where there was spiritual drought and that type of thing, but not because God withheld his spirit, but because people turned their back on the word of God. So I want to introduce you to some people, and and let's go to our next slide if we could. This is a guy, um, and I do need to throw out this disclaimer. They did not necessarily dress like the religious artists showed them dressing, okay? So for whatever reason, whenever these paintings were drawn, obviously these are copies of paintings from thousands of hundreds of years ago, certain religious people thought, well, if these guys were holy, we need to make them look holy. And so some of them are wearing all these ornate religious things. Just, you know, if that bothers you, just overlook it. Um, And also a lot of them, when you see some of their faces, oh, they're always sad, you know, because religious people have to be sad, right? Well, that's nobody knows what these people look like, and nobody knows exactly how they dressed, so I don't think they look sad. And this first guy named Ignatius of Antioch, notice he died in the year 117. So to give you a little bit of context on the New Testament, John wrote um, his writings, you know, uh, the book of Revelation, the gospel of John, the epistles of John, probably in the late 80s or early to mid-90s. And uh, this guy was actually, Ignatius of Antioch was actually a disciple of the Apostle John. And uh, he knew John personally. And John would have died probably about 20 years before he died. And um, so he had a lot of fresh memories of John. And uh, this is from a letter that he wrote, Ignatius wrote this, to another disciple of John named Polycarp of Smyrna. These guys were both pastors. And um, Ignatius, and the reason they show him in the Colosseum getting, uh, you know, uh, I don't think the lions actually ate him quite like that and started at the shoulders, but it made for a nice, nice, but but they they killed him, put him in the deal. And uh, he he wrote when he was being taken all the way from Antioch, which is in modern day Turkey, he was being taken to Rome to face execution, he wrote the Christians at Rome and said, don't you dare do anything to get in the way of my execution. He said, I'm ready to offer my life up to Jesus. To him, becoming a martyr for Jesus was the greatest thing. Now, you might not think that, but that you may not be called to do that. But these guys really sensed that, that the ultimate expression of their faith was to maintain their confession in the face of death and refuse to give worship to the emperor. To them, that was the greatest public testimony. To them, they were sealing their life with their own blood. And to them, it wasn't a lack of faith. To them, it was great faith. So, you know, different mindset than a lot of folks have today, understandably. But um, this is what he wrote to his pastor friend, Polycarp over in Smyrna, he told him to, and he wrote this on his way to Rome. He said, he told him, linger constantly in prayer. Seek a greater understanding than what you have. I mean, those two statements right there, that's just 
linger constantly and stay in the presence of God. And, and how many of you know, if you're not careful, you'll get content with what you know. Pastor Edwin gets up on some, well, open your Bibles to this verse, and you immediately, I know that. How many of you know we don't know anything yet? John, or Paul said, if you think you know anything, you don't know anything as you ought to know it. There's always levels and depths of understanding that the Holy Spirit can get. We, under, we know some things. I, I didn't say that very well. But we don't know anything fully yet. And so we should always be in an attitude of prayer, hungry for God, humble. Because when we think, oh, I know that, we, that's pride. And it shuts the door. When the, and we say, oh, I already know everything there is to know about that verse Do you know what the Holy Spirit says? Okay. And he goes and finds somebody that's hungry and he teaches them. So he says, linger constantly in prayer. Seek a greater understanding than what you have. Ask for invisible things. What are invisible things? Things of the Spirit. How many of you know it's real easy to always want to ask for visible things? Lord, I want that new car, I want that new whatever. And, and they're not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with trusting God for material provision, but he told, he told Polycarp, ask for invisible things that they may be made manifest to you and that you may lack nothing and abound with all spiritual gifts. See, if we're not hungry, God will find somebody who is. Now, there's another individual I want to look at, Justin Martyr. And Martyr was not his last name. He also ended up giving his life for his faith. You know, they lived in a time of horrific persecution. Uh, It was episodic. It was periodic. It wasn't nonstop and continual. Sometimes it was just in different regions or different cities. But um, in in Justin Martyr's uh, writings, he said daily... Some of you, he was uh, over in the area of Rome, he said daily some of you are becoming disciples of Christ and are quitting the path of error. You are also receiving gifts illumined through the name of Christ, for one receives the spirit of understanding, another of counsel, another of strength, another of healing, he's talking about gifts, another of foreknowledge, another of teaching, and another of the fear of God. On the next slide, he said, many of our Christian men are exorcising, that's not exorcising, that's exorcising, numberless demoniacs, meaning you're casting the devil out of people, throughout the whole world and in your city in the name of Jesus Christ who is crucified, they have healed and do heal, driving the possessing devils out of the men and rendering them helpless, even when they could not be cured by all the other exorcists or by those who used magic and drugs. So here into the middle, this is more than 50 years after John died, the last apostle, John was the longest living of the early, the 12 apostles original. In more than 50 years, he's talking about demons being cast out, people being healed. We're going to pop over to modern day France in this next slide. A guy named Irenaeus of Lyon. Lyon is a modern city in France. 
yet today. And um, uh, Polycarp, you remember we mentioned Polycarp? He's the one that received the letter from Ignatius saying to linger constantly in prayer and ask for invisible things. Polycarp, who was a disciple of John, sent Irenaeus all the way across the Mediterranean to modern-day France, what was then called Gaul, to be the pastor there. The church was kind of in trouble. They didn't have a real good, solid leader. Uh, There were all kinds of errors happening and different things. So Polycarp sends Irenaeus of Lyon all the way over to France, and he became one of the great leaders of the early church. And Irenaeus, who died, by the way, in the beginning of the third century in 202, Irenaeus says his disciples, Jesus' disciples, receiving grace from him, perform miracles in his name to promote the welfare of others according to the gift that each one has received from God. For some truly drive out devils so that those who have been cleansed from evil spirits frequently, and I love this, both believe in Christ and join themselves to the church. So when, when you get the devil cast out of you, you need to um, do two things, believe in Christ and join the church, according to Irenaeus of Lyon. And he says, others have foreknowledge of things to come. They see visions and utter prophetic expressions. Others still, this is the next slide, others still heal the sick by laying their hands upon them, and they are made whole. Moreover, as I have said, even the dead have been raised up and remained among us for many years. So these people were seeing different kinds of healings and miracles taking place. He said, it is not possible to name the number of gifts that the church scattered throughout the whole world has received from God. So this whole idea that the gifts of the Spirit stopped when the last apostle died, that the miracles and healing ceased when John passed away toward the end of the very first century. Well, here we're at the beginning of the third century, and church leaders are still talking about them. And they're not talking about them like, wow, it just happened once. They're talking about these things as though it was kind of something that they were all pretty well used to. Uh, Another slide, uh, the third slide, he said, we also hear of many brethren in the church who possess prophetic gifts and who through the Spirit speak all kinds of languages. They bring to light for the general benefit the hidden things of men and declare the mysteries of God. Now, Tertullian, let's go to him. He's, he, we're going to drop down now into what is northern Africa. And all of early Christianity was around the Mediterranean. So over toward Israel and up to, into Turkey, what we'd call the Asian section, and then down across North Africa, and then up across southern Europe. That's where Christianity really first took hold. And one of the African fathers was a gentleman named Tertullian, and he died around the year 220. Uh, he's, the one that, he's the first one to ever use the term Trinity to describe the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, the concept of the Trinity is all through the Bible, but nobody ever... He used the word Trinity to capture the concept of their uh, 
relationship. But Tertullian said this, he said, many men of high rank have been delivered from devils and healed of diseases. He said, we acknowledge spiritual charismata or the gifts. Charismata refers to the gifts of grace. And and then he talked about prophecy and a lady in his church that was especially given to prophetic insights. And then in the next slide, he says, we recognize and honor the prophecies and the recent visions. So he's talking about things that are going on right now, people who are having spiritual experiences, which had been promised equally. We also regard the rest of the powers of the Holy Spirit as tools. Everybody say tools. See, that's something that the church must understand. The gifts of the Spirit are tools, not toys. Tools of the church to whom the Spirit was sent, administering all of the outstandingly impressive gifts to everyone, just as the Lord distributes to each. The next slide, he says something that to me is very fascinating because it just reinforces the biblical pattern He said, Tertullian said, when you ascend from that most sacred bath of your new birth. Well, what would, he's using some symbolic, what's the bath of your new birth? He's talking about water baptism. When you get water baptized, when you get born again and you get baptized in water, he said, and you spread your hands or you raise your hands I was just in California, what, a week or two ago, and um, they, were, they were baptizing some people, and boy, they had some people that were getting baptized, and they gave little testimonies, and this guy, man, he'd come out of so much drug and alcohol addiction and crime and stuff like that, and man, when, he, when they baptized him and he came up out of the waters, man, he, he just, nobody told him to, he just, yeah. You know, he, was, he came up out of the sacred bath of his new birth and he spread or raised his hands. And notice what Tertullian said. You raise your hands uh, in the house of your mother. He's talking about the church. Together with your brethren, ask from the Father, ask from the Lord uh, that his own specialties of grace and distributions of gifts may be supplied to you. What a pattern. You get born again, you get baptized, you come up out of the water raising your hands, worshiping God. You're, You're there with your brethren in your mother, the church, and then you begin to ask God for the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is, this, is, uh, this is how the early church was operating. Let's pop over to uh, Alexandria, Egypt. And there was a guy named Origen. Now, they make him look really sad and that type of thing. But uh, he, uh, he was a really had a powerful ministry. He said, the name of Jesus can still remove distractions from the minds of men, expel demons and also take away diseases. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Uh, do you guys ever sing, the blood has never lost its power? That's an older song, but the blood. Do you know what? The name has never lost its power either. Even when that little girl said the name we're not allowed to mention in this house, 
The devil knew what name. The sickness knew what name. The name of Jesus can still remove distractions from the minds of men, expel demons, and also take away diseases. Now, I like this. He said, furthermore, it, the name, produces a marvelous meekness of spirit and a complete change of character. See, we love the power. We love the gifts. But see, he's saying, but it also generates the fruit. I read somebody wrote recently, said it doesn't matter if you speak in tongues, if you're mean in English. <laughs> See, the name of Jesus will do all these, but it'll also produce a meekness of spirit and a, and a change of character. Next slide, he said, we can clearly show a countless multitude of Greeks and barbarians who acknowledge the existence of Jesus And some give evidence of their having received through this faith a marvelous power by the cures which they perform, invoking no other name, I like that, no other name, over those who need their help than that of the God of all things and of Jesus, along with a mention of his history. Sometimes when you use the name of Jesus, give the devil a little history lesson. Say, by the way, that name is connected to the one who was born of a virgin, one who lived a sinless life, the one who shed his blood. Just give the devil a little lesson about the the history of of that name. Uh, For by these means, I too have seen many persons. Look at this. I have seen it. He's not saying, well, I heard about this. He says, I have seen many persons freed from grievous calamities from distractions of mind. Now, can I tell you something? Do you notice that some of these guys talk about people getting set free from distractions of mind? See, we always think about people getting healed of a stomach problem or healed of this. You think anybody in the world today might need some help with distractions of mind? Think about that. Distractions of minds, madness, and countless other ills that could not be cured by either men or devil. See, the name of Jesus was accomplishing all these things. Now, Origen died in the year 253, so middle of the third century, and he's not talking about how, well, all the supernatural things stopped. You know, boy, we sure wish John was around, because if John was here, it's not about John. It's about Jesus. It's about the name of Jesus. And then he said this, next slide, he said, not a few cures. Now, do you know what it means when somebody says not a few cures? It means there were a lot. Not a few cures are brought about in the name of Jesus and certain other manifestations of no small significance have taken place. So he was in Alexandria, Egypt. Uh, Let's go back to Rome and a guy, a church leader named Novation who died about the same time, the year 258, a little bit later, he said uh, he was a prominent leader in the Rome church, the church at Rome, and this is long before it became everything that it eventually became with all the traditions and so on. But Novation said the Holy Spirit is the one who places prophets in the church, instructs teachers, directs tongues, gives powers and healings, does wonderful works, offers discerning of spirits, 
uh, provides powers of government, gives counsels, he orders and arranges other gifts of the charismata, and makes the Lord's church everywhere perfect and complete. Isn't that amazing? See, when I, when I decided a few years ago, um, I, I did not need to do a master's in church history, but I was getting so fascinated with things that I was learning because I've traveled to most of these parts of the world and, uh, and then you begin learning about who was there and what they did and, and I just got this insatiable hunger to learn more. And when I finally jumped in and started studying this, I thought, why hasn't anybody told us this? And you've got all these people running around the, oh, God doesn't do this stuff anymore. You know, the church, you know, all these things stopped happening. And listen, this, what I'm sharing with you is, is, is prominently recorded in church history. And all of these people that I'm talking about, these aren't people that are obscure, off in some corner. These are, these are the Billy Grahams and the Kenneth Hagans. And the, these are the great church leaders. These people in, in their realm were very famous and well-known. And, and I just don't see how anybody can know church history and make some of the audacious claims that people make about these things aren't for today, you know, that type of thing. You just, you either have to be, I, I, don't, I didn't come here to be mean, but you either have to be ignorant or dishonest, one of the two to make those kind of claims. I want to introduce you, let's go over to what's modern-day Turkey. This will be our last one for this morning, and then we're just going to pick up here tonight. A guy named Gregory Thaumaturgus. And you say, that is a weird name, Thaumaturgus. Well, it wasn't really his name. It was a nickname. Gregory, Gregorius was his name. Uh, Thaumaturgus is a word that means the wonder worker. The wonder worker. He had such a reputation. They said that when he went to the city that he was best known in, where he spent the most time, city called Neo Caesarea in modern day Turkey, they said that uh, there were 17 Christians when he went to, it's a large city, there are 17 Christians there. They said by the time he finished his ministry, there were only 17 people in that city that were not Christians. He had, he, he was well-known for tremendous... How many of you know some people operate in more gifts of the Spirit than others? You know, you've had Christopher in. You know, Christopher operates in a lot of gifts of healings that I don't operate in. So different people operate in different kinds of gifts and, you know, that type of thing. But Gregory, absolutely, this is what was said of him by one of the early church fathers. For by the partnership of the Holy Spirit... Isn't that powerful? Just not the partnership. See, if we would just stop and think, well, I don't want to do anything without the partnership of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to go to work without the partnership. I don't want to go to Walmart without the partnership of the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm talking about? For by the partnership of the Holy Spirit, the power he had over demons was tremendous. Moreover, his predictions of things to come were such that they did not fall short of those of the great prophets. To recount all his wonderful works in detail would be too long of a task. 
by the superabundance of gifts produced in him by the Spirit in all power and in all signs and in marvels. That's what, he didn't say that about himself. That's what a guy named Basil of Caesarea said about him. Highly respected church father who was not given to exaggeration at all. And it was also said he was called a second Moses by the enemies of the church. Thus, in all that he accomplished through grace, by word and deed, a light seemed ever to be shining, a token of the heavenly power from the unseen realm that followed him. Isn't that amazing? I'm just, what, what we're doing is real similar. If we went out to a lake and I took a flat stone and just threw it and it skipped and hit, you know, a few places on the top of the, we're, we're barely touching the surface, but these are ones that as I studied this, this is why this study was not a, a burden or a grievous chore. Um, it, this just was light to me, life to me to see how the Holy Spirit has been doing these things and to realize that we're just, we're just an additional link in a chain that has been extending all through history. And, and the devil and religion want to do everything they can to keep people's eyes blinded. You know, the information of the gospel, a lot of people know, but we need to know about the impartations, the inspiration, the power of the Holy Spirit. So tonight when we come back, we're going to pick up and we're just going to, we're going to zoom through church history. We're going to be in high gear. But let me pray for you before we go. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you for this time that we've had together this morning. And Lord, I pray that this will stir. I pray that it'll do for these folks what it's done in my life. Uh, it, it stirs within me a hunger for more. It, it, it stirs within me a hunger to not be complacent, to not be content, just to go through the motions of, of Christianity or to go through the motions of tradition. But Lord, to really enter into partnership with the Holy Spirit. And, and Lord, to, to just be sensitive to how you want to use us in ministering to other people. Lord, this isn't just so that we can have miracles. This is so that we can be a part of bringing miracles into the lives of other people. So, Father, we just, we just want our own spirit to be uh, just stirred and, and uh, our, our, our thinking to be uh, even shaken and, and activated to really powerfully step into partnership with the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we ask you to just fill this church because, Lord, this church is so well positioned because people have been so well taught, they've experienced, they've tasted and they've seen that the Lord is good. And so, Lord, we just want this to be just, just another step in their journey, another step in their uh, following after you. Uh, Lord, to stir things up on the inside of us that we will never, ever be the same. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. 
If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.